So today, we are celebrating the Feast of Epiphany. And I don't know. Let's see. Can you see it gets it back? Yeah. All right. So if you didn't know, Epiphany is when the camels dress up like Santa <clears throat> and deliver all the toys, right? No. It's not, but I really like this picture. <laughs> it is. It's so good, right? Actually, Epiphany is the celebration of uh, the, vig- the visit of the Magi to Bethlehem, and it symbolizes the manifestation of baby Jesus to the world. So today, we are going to jump right in to our uh, scripture, which comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Y'all can feel free to read it with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. All right. So, we've all heard the song, right? We three kings of Orient are, they follow a star and they find baby Jesus. But truth is, we just read the story, and we don't know who they really are. We know they're not kings, really. That just probably fit better than we three astrologers from somewhere not here, you know. So if you do the research, you can hear them described as all kinds of things, like foreigners, pagans, priests, astrologers. But even after doing all of that, we don't know who they are or exactly where they came from or even how many there were. We say three because we like three. The Bible likes the number three. So, but we don't know. We don't even know how long it took for them to get wherever they started to Bethlehem, and we don't know how old Jesus was when they actually got to him. So, we don't have a lot of facts in this story. But it's not that facts don't matter. It's just that the stories matter more. 
And I would argue that how we respond to those stories matters the most. So we could say there were some people, wherever they lived, sitting there minding their own business when something in the sky, a star, a light, and we don't even know exactly what that famous star was, but <clears throat> the point is that star of wonder, star of night, star of royal beauty bright, it touched them. It reached out to them, it called them, pulling them towards something new, something unknown, something life-changing. And the most important part was they went. And there's a poem by Jan Richardson titled, How the Light Comes. And I read it, and I just needed to share it with you all because it makes me think about all these things that we don't know about this story, but that it's okay. I cannot tell you how the light comes. What I know is that it's more ancient than imagining, that it travels across an astounding expanse to reach us, that it loves, loves searching out what is hidden, what is lost, what is forgotten, or in peril, or in pain, that it has a fondness for the body, for finding its way toward flesh, for tracing the edges of form, for shining forth through the eye, the hand, the heart. I cannot tell you how the light comes, but that it does, that it will, that it works its way into the deepest dark that enfolds you, though it may seem long ages in coming, or arrive in a shape you did not foresee. And so, may we this day turn ourselves toward it. May we lift our faces to let it find us. May we bend our bodies to follow the arc it makes. May we open and open more and open still to the blessed light that comes. So I can't tell you how that light comes. I don't have those facts, but again, not the facts that are important here. It's the story. And it's how we respond to or in that story that really matters. You may have noticed in the scripture <clears throat> that the priests and the teachers in Jerusalem, Herod goes to them and asks them, where is the Messiah? And they have the answer. But they didn't even bother to make that seven-mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. I even put my GPS walking and avoid busy roads. So today, we could walk there in less than three hours. Problem is, those priests didn't hit the go button. Although the priests and teachers could explain where the Messiah should be born, I mean, they did quote the best named prophet. Yeah, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They didn't get up and travel with the Magi to Bethlehem. And what I'm afraid is that similarly, we might know the whole nativity story. We might know all of this scripture, but we remain unbothered 
and unmoved and unchanged. What if when we read this epiphany story, we're not the magi going out to seek, but we're the know-it-all priests. And the power that moved heaven and earth just leaves us unmoved and unchanged. By means of their astrological expertise, these pagans happened upon a sign. Now, how did they know that this star signified the birth of a Jewish king? That's another fact we don't know. We don't, we're not told that. This, the scripture is silent on that part. But we do know that they acted on their discovery. They embarked on this long journey, taking expensive gifts worthy of a king, eager to pay homage. And their efforts led them to an encounter far beyond what they could imagine. The king of the Jews, whom before they knelt, was not just another king, but the son of the Most High God. In the text, it says they were overwhelmed with joy when that star stopped and they knew that they had found what they were looking for. If you look at the Greek of that text, it's even more redundant. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of joy. Their homage is elevated to worship. And they follow this star and they had this dream that told them not to return to Herod so we can assume that their pursuit had led them to know that there was some truth happening here. So when we read this story, when we encounter the story of the birth of Christ, we have some choices to make. We can be the priests, or we can be the magi. There's a line in a poem by theologian Walter Brueggemann titled Epiphany, that says, we are, we, we could be, people of your light. So we pray for the light of your glorious presence as we wait for your appearing. We could be. I know, I could be. I hope some days, maybe most days, I am. But I do know some days I am not. <clears throat> but I can't think of a better message to share with you all at the beginning of this new year, as we make all those resolutions maybe we made last night or this morning to lose the weight, stop that bad habit, or start some good habit. So might I suggest to you that this epiphany story could teach us or lead us to think bigger. Maybe this year a resolution could be not to leave Bethlehem the same way that we came. That maybe we devote ourselves to being changed by the one that we gathered right here in worship just a few nights ago. That when we leave Bethlehem, we follow those magi, and we go home a different way, changed. Now this week, <clears throat> when I was thinking of things to, to share with you all, there's a story, and some of you may be familiar with the book. It's Children of Christmas by Cynthia Ryland. And it's a collection of short stories. And I'm going to end by reading you one that I think captures anything that I could want to share. It's called All the Stars in the Sky. <clears throat> 
Everybody knows May. She's been on the streets for years. She has wild eyes and nobody trusts her. She wears stinking clothes and nobody approaches her. She enjoys garbage cans. Nobody likes her. Nobody but her dogs. She has three of them, but only one of them has a name and she calls it Marty. The other two she speaks to and she feeds when she has food, but no names. May's been in town for so many years that no one notices her anymore. She's like the old department store downtown that's boarded up and full of empty shelves and dusty dress racks. Nobody looks at that old department store on his way home or to school or to work. Nobody looks at the old store anymore and nobody looks at May. May's been doing fair, though. These many years she's been on the streets and she knows where to go when she's hungry enough to ask for food and the church downtown has given free lunches every day at noon for as long as she can remember. She knows she won't starve to death and if she has to, she knows where she can sleep in a bed inside a building. The mission home always lets people like May in at night to rest if they want. But they can stay only the night. In the morning, they have to leave. They have to go out on their own again. Some of them can remember when they had homes. They can remember when they were living in with a family and sleeping in their pajamas in their own beds in a house that was warm and had food in its cabinets. The ones who can remember this suffer the most because they know what it is to not sleep on a park bench or a sidewalk. They know the smell of clean blankets. They know the taste of fresh milk and fried eggs every morning. They know something about being loved. But May, May knows none of this. She knows which garbage cans have the best scraps after dinner hour, and she knows which shops throw out old clothes and when they're thrown out. She knows where to find a good, clean newspaper if the wind is cold and she needs to cover at night. She knows how to find the church and the mission home, and she knows her dog Marty's name, but everything else she's forgotten. This year, this winter, May needs to remember something. She needs very badly to remember it, but she can't. She walks her daily route, three dogs following and sniffing at every piece of garbage, every color on the street, but May doesn't search the cans this day. She walks very slowly with her hands deep down in her pockets, her hair flying and her eyes wild, full of tears. She's sick and she can't remember where to go. May knows that there's a place because she's been sick once before when a boy on his bike knocked her down and suddenly people noticed her. That dirty old woman lying at their feet. Someone had come for her and she'd been taken to a place for the sick and made well and fed six times. Where is it? May needs that sick place, and so she walks with her dog, and she cries. She walks all day with her head held down, and she doesn't see the lights of the stores flashing green and red, and the pine trees in the store windows shining with gold balls and silver beads, and the people walking fast all around her with their big bags and their boxes, pulling the small children behind them, saying, hurry up, stores are about to close. She doesn't see Santa on the corner. May just walks. Her head hung low, and her three dogs. Finally, it's near dark, and she's so sick and so very tired that she gives up walking, looking for this sick place. She shuffles into an alleyway and drops in front of a large metal door, the side entrance of a building. Marty and the other two dogs sit down, waiting to see what May will do next. She wipes her wet face with her sleeve and pulls her coat tighter around her. 
And then she gives a great sigh and she leans back against the door. And as she leans, the door creaks loud. and It opens up so quickly that May falls backwards right into the building. May yells and Marty and the two dogs bark and there's nothing but confusion for a time. But then May gets up off the floor and realizes that no one's come. There are dark, empty desks full of boxes and books on the floor, but no one has come. So May closes herself and the three dogs inside the building. She shuts the metal door and it bangs hard, and then there's nothing but desks and books and the dogs and May. And May wonders if she found the sick place after all. So she shivers and walks toward the door at the end of the room, and she thinks when she opens it, she'll see that place and everything will be better. But when she opens it and looks out, it's not the sick place. Only a room that a giant could live in, and it's full of books. Rows and rows of shelves, thousands and thousands of books. It's a book place. She leans against the wall and looks at all those books, and she knows where she is. She's come in this building before to get warm. She can sit at a table and be warm, and nobody will tell her to leave. But they're all gone today the book people. There's nobody here but May, and so she moves and the dogs follow. May finds some other rooms with desks. She finds a bathroom and a closet, and then she finds a kitchen. May goes in like a child into that kitchen, so hungry. She finds food. She finds sandwiches and cookies and a big jar of peanut butter and some milk and some apples and cheese and even candy. And she puts it all on the floor. She puts every bit of food that she finds on the floor, and then she and Marty and the two dogs do nothing but eat for a very long time. Then May, feeling full and sleepy, curls into a ball on the floor. And Marty and the two dogs curl into balls against May, and they all sleep. When May wakes up, it's so dark. She can't even see her hands, and she's afraid, and she calls out, and the dogs bark and bark, and May stumbles into the darkness, slipping on the food on the floor, and then she remembers where she is, and she finds a light switch. May wanders from room to room again, and she finds a stairway, and she can see well enough, so she goes up. She's starting to feel better. At the top is another room full of books and shelves, but this room's a little different. It has an aquarium that buzzes low and in the half-dark makes the walls of the room look like liquid. May walks over to it and presses her hands against the glass and watches the fish swim. She stands there long enough. She just stands there. Then she moves around the room. There are pictures all over the walls, full of color, and things hang down from the ceiling, paper things on strings. May wants one, but she can't reach it. There's a Christmas tree in the room, too. May knows what that is, but she's afraid of them. Marty and the dogs like to sniff at it, though. May finds some large, soft cushions on the floor, and she curls herself into one and watches the fish and the liquid lights on the walls. The dogs lie down beside her. May whistles low to Marty and wags his tail. On the floor next to her cushion, May sees a basket of books. They're very shiny, and at first she's afraid. But finally she picks one up, and it's a book about a snowman. May can see that, and it's easier for her because it has no words. It's just pictures. May turns the pages and watches the snowman come to life and fly in the sky with a boy. And she watches the snowman melt on the last page, 
She nods her head and picks up another book. Now, this one has words, so May nearly puts it down. But the pictures of the woman and the baby and all these stars hold her. And May turns the pages slowly, curled into her cushion, and breathes deep and quiet and looks. Then she lays her head against Marty and she sleeps. In the morning, May and her dogs leave that place. She can't stay because she doesn't want to be found. She leaves behind the books and the fish and even the food on the kitchen floor. And when she opens the door that had so suddenly let her in the night before, May's surprised at how quiet the streets are. She and Marty and the two dogs come out of the alley and there are hardly any cars and no buses and very few people and the stores are all closed. May walks with her dogs. Her stomach is full. And she's not sick anymore. There's a sign in the window that says, Merry Christmas. But May, she only sees a flying snowman and a woman with a baby and all these stars. The end.